Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. This is our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. So this week our guest is Mumdance. Uh, he's been a key player in the wave of sort of experimental grime and soundscapey stuff that's been getting some decent attention for the last couple of years. He's been working incredibly hard to get his message out there and uh, as you'll hear in my first question, he's got an insane amount of projects off the ground recently. He's also got a really interesting career arc. He used to make quite noisy, kind of electro-related stuff. Then after taking a break for a couple of years, he re-emerged almost as a new artist. He actually lives just up the road from our London office, so we chatted like good neighbours a month or so ago. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The RA-Exchange with Mum Dance is up next. So in the last few months, you have released a Fabric Mix, an album with Logos. Uh, you performed a collaborative live project with Shape Noise and Logos called The Sprawl. You went to the Rebel Music Academy in Tokyo. You had a single out on Excel with Novelist and you started a label called Different Circles. So, uh, mate, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's been going on? Like, I mean, I, I think at the moment, I'm, more than anything, I'm just inspired by music. I think things come in waves. You can fall in and out of love with music. And at the moment, I'm, I'm in love with music and I'm very excited about just music in general, listening to it, exploring it. And um, I think that's just reflected in my output. Yeah, I mean, do you feel as though you're in a, is this like a purple patch you've felt before or is this like the most excited you've kind of ever been? I think that it's hard to overanalyze these things and I think if you start to overanalyze them and sort of think about it too much then you, it's the beginning of the end, you know, like because you, you see it's very easy to sort of psych yourself out. I'm just taking it as it comes, you know, and just enjoying myself and I think that's the, that's the key to it. If, you, if you're enjoying yourself then that's going to be ref reflected in the the product that you're putting out. So. Yeah, so d tell us a bit about how that's kind of manifested itself. Have you just been generally like enjoying your time in the studio with stuff been coming really easily? I guess it goes through waves because I think when I'm making music, it takes me a few sort of weeks to gear up to it. You know, like I can't just get in the studio and just make something. I have to sort of sit and think about it for a few days. You know what I mean? Put it off for a few days, watch Jeremy Kyle for a bit. And, and then... Um, might fire up the sampler after like a week or something and then I, but like it, then it just over time I sort of get into it and then every day I'll be getting more and more productive mm. and just um it just so I, I tend to sort of do it in bursts so and then I'll go away and think about it for a bit and concentrate because the thing is with DJing as well it's kind of like a 
push and pull sort of thing. If you're focusing on making music, it's very hard to keep up to date with the music that's been putting out because you're so sort of in your zone. So I tend to do sort of binges of studio, then binges of listening to music and sort of making sure I've got a ton of dubs, you mm -hmm. know what I mean, to play in the clubs and also making my own music to play in the clubs, you know what I mean? Because I think that's another thing with everything being on the internet straight away you need to hold back music. Oh, I learned this off Pinch, actually, because like I, before I was actually, I'd always just play music. I wouldn't care if it went on YouTube the next day, but Pinch has taught me sort of how valuable it is just to hold things back on dub and just to have things for the club because it's a very important environment for club music. So that's why it's called club music, you know? <laughs> so um, the, the idea being that you're kind of giving yourself exclusive music, but then you're also building like excitement and interest around those tracks. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because like, when I was young, I had my work in a, a record shop. I was big into drum and bass and stuff, and tunes were built over months. You know, you go to these drum and bass raves and you, you recognise a tune, then you pick up that a tune's been being hammered loads, and then you get to know the tune. Then you get to know the tune when it's coming in. You could hear it in the mix and stuff, and you get excited about it. And now things move so much quicker, you know, and obviously with the internet and stuff like that, there's more music out there flying around, so you... And there's a lot of different crews, you know, pushing their own sounds. So it's a lot of different factors. But I mean, I'm going off on a tangent, but basically Pinch sort of taught me that it's good to hold back dubs because it creates sort of excitement around it. And it, that's reflected in the rave. And that's just something I completely forgot about. So hold tight, Pinch. You know? mm, yeah, 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 no, I understand. Yeah. Do you find that people have less patience these days, like when they're waiting for releases? You know, we're in a sort of age of like now, 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 instant accessibility. It's interesting. I think there's a couple tunes at the moment which I've just been playing in the clubs. One is a actually a Pinch remix of the Rico version of Take Time, which Pinch made, and that's like strictly for the clubs, you know. People know it, you know. I've only played it like three times. People are coming and asking me for it when I go to different cities, different countries even. They're like, oh, you're going to play that one by Pinch? And I'm like, how do you know that? You know what I mean? It's, it's not like, do you know what I mean? So I think there's... I guess good music always finds its way, but I think that what has maybe been lost a bit was is that sort of sense of excitement. Like when I used to go clubbing, I used to enjoy queuing up because I wasn't sure if I was going to get in, you know what I mean? And that sort of sense of queuing up outside a club, it's all like a build up, you know? And when you, once you got in the club, you're just ready to sort of go wild, you know? And I think with all this sort of instant access to stuff, I think maybe it kills a bit of the sort of excitement that would come with things before, you know? Yeah, and no, I understand. Mm -hmm. So um, your most recent project, I don't know what order they all came in, but your fabric mix came out this week. Yeah. Tell me, what did you first think when you were asked to do the fabric mix? What was, what was like the first thought that went through your head? Well, I mean, I actually went and asked them. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I was like, I've wanted to do a fabric mix for a very long time. Like I bought those CDs since I was about 15. I, I bought the second one. I can't remember. I think it's second or the DJ Height one. Anyway, I've been consistently buying them all the way through as I was growing up. You know, they're an important part of my life, and it's something which I well, it's been a lifetime ambition of mine to do a fabric CD. Like I want, I've always wanted a little silver tin with my name on. That's like that's one of the things that's like that's like I can die a happy DJ now. You know what I mean? I've been playing at Fabric now for about six, seven years. So I was just like, I, as I say, I was feeling good about music, and I know they'd always kind of like said they're going to do it, you know, but I was just like, I feel like now is the right time to do this. Um, we went and had a little chat about it and, and then it just went on from there. So yeah, I was very, I was very excited. About it. So I 
guess you already had an idea of how you might approach it in your mind. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be like classics and exclusives, basically. Yeah. I don't like uh, the trouble with these fabric mixes sometimes is just with the the internet again moving things around, but you tend to get money when you release CDs, you buy it and then all the music's already been released, you know, some some DJs have been lazy, you know, and um, I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted it to be music that isn't available anywhere else because that makes it something which makes it worthwhile having, you know, and I wanted mine to be a mix that people would return to. And I think that's why I sort of spaced it out and tried to make it a bit more of a journey than just banging out club tunes. Yeah, for no, an hour. I see. Yeah. Mm. It was um, an interesting and uh, maybe unexpected end to the mix because mm. you strung together a few, like, would you describe them as hardcore tracks? Yeah, yeah, hardcore. It's like sort of proto jungle, uh, late, early hardcore, sort of um, 93, 94. I call it Golden Era Hardcore. That's just because it's my favourite time of hardcore. But I mean, hardcore's had a lot of different, it's got a long heritage hardcore, you know? So with the mix, I wanted the mix to sort of reflect my past and present and sort of peer into the future what was interesting me and sort of the sort of roots I was taking like I'm looking to take in the future so hardcore was the first type of music that really caught my ear literally when I was about 12 or 13 years old like standard thing going around your mate's older brother's house he had a hardcore tape playing I was just like what is this you know what I mean I didn't, never heard anything like it in my life like before that I think I had a like a, a t I had a copied tape which had a Doggy Style by Snoop on one side and Warren GG Funk on the other side, and like I was I was hammering that that tape, and I just heard this hardcore thing. I was just like, "What is this music?" And he lent me the lent me a, a tape pack actually, and then after that I was just like just obsessed by it basically. And then uh, I had a paper round, did my paper round and bought some really dodgy like Cam BDX one eighty belt drive decks uh, Intimidation Apex mixer. Took me ages to save up for it and then um, all my money was just going on records you know like uh, it took I think I got paid like 20 quid or something maybe even 13 pounds a week for doing my paper round and I used to uh, it just used to be enough for me to get a bus into Brighton and buy two records so that was how I used to me and my mate used to go into Brighton every week and just uh, just like everyone hated us at the record shops because we were like these little kids you know went in there we used to go in there and nickel the flyers and stuff so my walls are like plastered with flyers but like I actually don't really like record shops because of my experiences of when I was younger because it was so stressful going into a record shop like having to buy like ha buying hardcore these guys like looking down at you you know what I mean and just being like and like we've been there for ages like listening to all the records because the money was very precious to us you know and it kind of like it was so stressful because you know they can be quite pr precious at record course, shops some yeah. people you know and like they, yeah, they used to be so rude to us back in the day, you know. But like, so they're yeah, sort of looking yeah. at you like, oh, these kids yeah. are just going to spend three hours and then they're going to buy yeah. two records yeah, or something. It. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, it was good fun. I mean, it taught me a lot about music. So yeah, it's good to set me on my path, I guess. So, mm. Were they looking down on you for your selections or because of your age? I think it's probably both, to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think I was buying the most discerning uh, music back then. But I mean... A couple of the things I bought, I put on that fabric mix that I bought when I was that young, you know? Like, really? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, The one I ended with, which was Ramos and Supreme, The Journey, that was like one of the first vinyls I ever bought. So, oh, really? Yeah, did yeah, you yeah. play it off that record as well? Uh, I didn't, because I, I was away for them in um, China for the majority of the time when I was putting together this fabric mix. Yeah. So I couldn't go back. That's what I actually wanted to do, but to be honest, my copy of it is really scratched, but I got it off uh, Ramos. I wanted to finish with another one, but... 
it's hard because a lot of the hardcore ones that I wanted to get, like I wanted to get this one called Only Love by DJ Morph, which uh, was like always a, a favourite. But like it, it's got a sample and like we we got in touch with the producer and he's just like, I made this 20 years ago, you know what I mean? And like it's got, <laughs> if I put it on a, on a thing now, I don't make working music anymore. If I put it on a compilation now, it's got this dodgy sample in and I get pulled up for it. <laughs> it's just not worth his time, you know? So there was a lot of music that I couldn't put on the CD that I wanted to, but um, I st I'm still very happy with the selection, you know? Yeah, and no, I understand. As an artist, do you think it's like important to you to pull something from the past into what you're doing in the present? Is this something that like, you know, weighs on your mind? I mean, I think I'm quite a sort of nostalgic person anyway. I like listening to old music. I like remembering old times. And I think that's just something that just is reflected in what I do. And I think, um, also there's kind of a sense of trying to build a bit of a narrative and I think that comes into play as well I mean it's it's fun to remember you know what I mean yeah sure yeah, sure yeah, it's fun to remember and it's, it's like you, I always get that feeling when the seasons change you know and you suddenly like you might smell some like the, the weather's different you know and it reminds you of like last year and stuff and it's that same sort of nice feeling that you get when you hear these music and just I don't know it's one it's one so, I mean there's a lot of different reasons why I enjoy music Nostalgia is one of them. I enjoy music as well because uh, I like being on the dance floor and having your face blown off by some weird arrangement and just being like, this isn't even music. You know what I mean? There's lots of different ways to enjoy music and I think nostalgia and sort of that is one of them. But I mean, there's there's ways of doing nostalgia. <laughs> you, know, yeah, you, sure. you can do bad, there's bad ways of doing nostalgia as well, you know? So the Fabric Mix actually um, followed another commercial mix CD that you'd done uh, the year before with Pinch. Yeah. Why did you guys decide that it was like the mix CD was the best format to get your music out there, like rather than an album? Like how did that kind of like come together or what was the thought process? Well, I think Pinch likes CDs. He likes to listen to CDs in, my, in his car. I like to listen to mix CDs in my car, you know, and I think it's simple the, as that. And I think it's also, it's just, I don't know. I still, I like, I still like CDs. You know, and I think it's cool. I think there's a sense because mixes are just chucked out all the time, you know, and I think that's good. I think it's good that you have um, mixes that are chucked out all the time. It keeps you up to date with music. I love listening to Rinse. I love listening to all the podcasts, NTS and all that. But also, I think if you're paying for a mix, I think you want to know that there's been a lot of thought and a specific sort of, there's been a lot of time put into it, you know. Mm. If you're going to buy something, then you want to know that, it's a quality product, you know, and people have, and I think just doing a mix, I mean, Pinch and I did do a, a free mix, which went out on the internet, but I think doing it in a mix CD format, I mean, all the tr tracks on that mix are original tunes. So yeah, sure. That were unreleased, you know, so I think it's, it's different. It's a different way of doing things. Was there a thought that maybe you would release the music as an album or did it feel like the mix CD was perhaps the better format? I mean, Pinch is just the same as me, excited about music. And I think he just wanted to sort of, I don't think there was really even that much thought put behind it. We were just like, we want to do, that's the best way music's presented. It's dance music, you know? So I think there's a lot to be said for, for mixes, you know? Because Logos and I have just put out um, the album Proto and it's a collection of dance music tracks. But you don't always want to be listening to like a minute intro of just hi-hats, you know? You want to listen to it in the form that you would hear it in a club, how yeah. it's supposed to be heard. So it just made sense to do it like that. And also, it wasn't just our music. A lot of it was, but it was it was kind of like a collection of music that was exciting us. And also, sort of like, 
it felt like something new was happening. I think we just wanted to express that as well. Yeah, no, I see. That, I wanted to ask actually, because it felt like, even without reading into the album, it did have this air of you guys kind of like making a statement, if mm. you like. There yeah. was a definite sense of like, this is how we see it or see things at the moment. Like, how would you personally define that or how would you sort of like convey that message? I mean, it's hard. I, I'm finding more and more that it's not really my job to make calls on these things. Mm. I think it's up to the public. Everything, music means different things to different people. And I think that all we're doing is, from my perspective, is there's this whole batch of producers who are like-minded. There's this exciting sort of sound at the moment which we're both into and we wanted to to do a mix just to sort of document it, I guess. Yeah, and sort of, I, and I think I think there was no sort of deep thing apart from we were just like into the music and we were like, yes, let's do a mix. Let's do it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's this idea that all you're doing is, I mean, you're bringing it together and then whatever follows in the wake of that is mm. kind of left to, yeah. not to chance, but you know yeah, what I mean? It's like, it. if, if something happens as a result of this, yeah. we'll kind of take yeah. it. That's so, it. But I think, I mean, it's hard because I've I've found, um, like, I had, like, for example, with Proto, I had a, had a few reviews and they, they didn't say anything bad about the music, but they sort of tore apart the press release. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I, don't, I didn't even know, like it came across as a negative review even though they didn't say anything bad about the music you know and i'm just like you can't cuss me <laughs> for my press release you know what i mean i didn't i didn't even write the press release you know like so it's difficult but i mean i can only then i can only try my best i guess you know yeah I mean? no of course yeah, yeah. no it's yeah. it, i ask because it's like um you know to talk about your work with logos as well you've used this term weightless to sort of like describe what you guys do or i guess what we're talking about more broadly here is that term kind of like vague enough where it can sort of encapsulate what you're doing without having to get into the sort of that, like nitty-gritty of it. you know yeah because i mean we, the reason we called it weightless is just it's not down to a specific sort of style like as a lot of people have misinterpreted it calling it weightless grime it's not weightless grime it's it's just weightless like it's a feeling it could be ambient new age it could be like there's a track on Proto called Cold, which is the final track, and it's a very aggressive tune, but it's weightless. It's got no drums in it, and it kind of has that feeling of stasis, of weightlessness. And I think um, that's what we, we were sort of trying to convey. The weightless thing came from just because on my rinse charge, just playing all these sort of, a lot of them were GRM sort of music concrete. Music concrete, I don't I never say that right, you know what I mean? Yeah. The GRM stuff. Because I'm really into that stuff, you know. It, uh, it, like I really like the sort of idea, that, the ideas that they're pushing, how um, they're trying to hi- sort of mask like what what the sound was, you know. So you didn't know what the sound was, and I think it's, it's just quite interesting because it kind of it runs parallels to when you're like as I mentioned before, when you're on a dance floor and then you just hear this stuff and you're just like, I don't know what this is. So I was listening to a lot of that, and then I just thought I'd just play it because I was also playing a lot of different styles on my rinse show, and it made for a nice segue between styles and kind of I, I used to call them palette cleansers yeah yeah yeah, sure. yeah and then I just ended up playing more and more of it just because I was listening to more and more of it that's a simple reason and people were just like what is this I was just like weightless because it makes it that's what it, yeah. that's what it sounds like and then um I mean James has wanted to Logos has wanted to do a sort of EP of sort of ambient devil mixes for a long time you know um sort of the ambient sort of more sort of sound design versions coming from that sort of side of things and so we just thought it it apt to start with something like that you know and so we'd already had a few tracks that we were just playing in the clubs anyway that we 
had in mind and then a couple more we we sort of briefed the producers and said oh we'd like you to be a part of this can you make something in this kind of vein you know so yeah I was really happy with the way the waitlisting turned out yeah I mean I guess in a way you're um you're highlighting qualities in the music that are already present mm. but you're just like re-emphasizing it it's almost like inverting the whole idea of yeah. club music or dance yeah, floor music I mean, it's more yeah it's more like the thing is with the, the waitlist stuff is it's all made with club sensibilities so a lot of them are arranged are like grime grime instrumentals or like drum and bass tunes in the sense that they have breakdowns and build-ups and drops. Mm. But they just don't have drums. They've got loads of sub-bass, they've got loads of lo- sub-pressure, but they just don't tear your face off with drums. They still tear your face off, some of them, but it's just it's just a different way of doing it. And also it's just, it's the idea of peaks and troughs, in my mind anyway. Like this is, as I say, I've said this before in interviews, but I mean, I'm from a time when DJ sets were always described as journeys. You know what I mean? That like, cheesy as that sounds, but that's that's just always what I've read, listened to. You know, people trying to sort of create a narrative with their DJ sets. Ever since rave music, when they were knocking, when at the hour sets came in, and they were just um, people doing hour sets, and they just had to bang out a load of anthems for an hour, then go to their next show. I'm not really from techno, so I couldn't really... Obviously, the techno and house and stuff, it still exists, but in, from my side of things, you know, like the way I grew up, it was always sort of one-hour sets, bang, 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 out. Sure. One, yeah. So for me, it was quite nice to sort of try and bring that back and you need songs to do that, you know? You need the, you need the low points to build the high points. Yeah. So just as people release drum tracks, like the people who release all these club tool stuff at the moment, you know what I mean? And they're good that they've got their, their place, but the weightless thing bits have got their place as well to sort of take things down. Cause that's, that's what it was as well. Like I was using like new age tunes as breakdowns went on rinse because everything was so intense. It needed a bit of time to, to sort of take a breather and through doing that, the high points are higher. Cause you know what I mean? It's like, a pretty simple, yeah. you know, when you break it down yeah. like that, it's pretty simple, mm. but um, I don't think people really think too much about dynamics mm. or enough people mm. don't think about mm. dynamics mm. in that way. Mm. Mm. You were talking about the, the sort of club journey. Has this approach like thrown people off? Have you had sort of like hairy moments or? Yeah. I mean, some D de- you see some DJs and they'll go and they've got a set for a festival. They've got a set for this. They've got a set for that. And, that's fine, you know what I mean? But I've just tried to consistently play. The thing is, from the start of my career, I've always played, I've been booked for a lot of different parties. Like, I get booked for for grime nights. I used to get booked for, like, Bugged Out as well, you know? Like, I mean, one New Year's Eve, I did, like, a grime night in Manchester, then I came down and did Bugged Out with Brudinsky. Do you know what I mean? Like, And that was about six years, seven years ago. No, it's like six years. Anyway. So traditionally, I've always felt quite out of, out of my depth with a crowd, you know, because I'm just like, oh, shit, this is a so-and-so night. I haven't got the selection for that. So I think more and more, it's just sort of realising that you just have to be yourself and you just have to sort of do your thing, which can be hard sometimes because you might lose people. But eventually, that's the way you sort of convey your message, I guess. And I think... Um, now I'm very lucky in the sense that over the past little year and stuff, I can play pretty weird stuff like to massive rooms, you know what I mean? And it, that's that's a blessing to me, you know what I mean? That I can just bang out like like a drone thing, like shape noise, you know what I mean? Play shape noise to a massive room and people will stand, stand sort of looking aghast, but they won't go, you know? So it's, yeah. 
yeah, I guess it gets easier over the years once your message has been put out there and people get warmed up to the idea of what you're actually doing, that mm. they'd come into the gig with maybe slightly different expectations than they had a, a couple of years ago. That's it, definitely. I mean, it's good. I really like it in the sense that people are starting to come and see me with an open mind and that's exactly what I want people to come open-minded but also it's hard in the sense that sometimes like I'm not sort of like you get these sort of champions of scenes and people sort of really take them under their wing and they have a loyal fan base as I'm sort of like the mother-in-law or like of scenes you know what I mean like people don't really know what to do with me you know what I mean like I sort of like, I'm more in the cracks and I mean I, I think there's as many people that like me as don't like me <laughs> and I think uh Sometimes that's quite stressful, but equally it's good to to do something. I just I don't know really. You can't second guess these things. I just try and do myself, and just that's it. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, we mentioned Logos James a, a few times. Kind of one of your closest collaborators. Yeah. Like, what's the common ground between you guys? You seem seem to share like very sort of like similar creative, artistic mm. kind of ideas. Mm. So I met Logos. I think I was just listening to Dusk and Blackdown show. And uh, he played a song by Logos called Cloud Bursting. Okay. Which I heard it and I was just like, this sounds like a tune I would have made. And I was just like, that's crazy. And literally the next day, because I don't know, I'm a firm believer. If something feels right, you just got to do it straight away because otherwise it'll get forgotten about. Like how many times people are just like, oh yeah, we'll do this. Like next time I see you do it and it never happens. So I've tried to sort of base my activities around being quite impulsive you know what I mean and like if, some, if something feels right so I was just like right got in touch with him the next day and I was just like oh yeah da, 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 da. and um, then in a week he come right down to my house because I was in Brighton at the time and he come down from London and uh, we did a session I think we in the first day we wrote in reverse and move your body like in one in one session so and like it was just like that was a good session you know like yeah yeah, yeah. so um, and we just share a lot of common ground in our music tastes and our sort of skill set complements each other quite well when making music you know and and we get on well you know what i mean more than more than anything that's like uh, the most important thing when you're doing a collaboration is you have to like the person that you're making music with otherwise it's not going to work like you'll find i mean i do a lot of collaborations and the battle when you're doing a collaboration is building a rapport with the person that you're working with if you understand each other then you can make music a lot easier if you're sort of battling against each other and there's egos or something like that you're not going to get anything good because you're going to have to compromise whereas I find when I make music with James Logos and when I make music with Pinch we don't compromise you know we we meet we, we don't go like you can have that snare if I can have that kick drum we go I go I don't like that snare and he goes well I like it I don't like it okay well let's find one we both like you know what I mean sure and yeah then yeah. that then the music is a sum of our parts rather than sort of like a, a trade-off so yeah, so I think that's that's a very healthy way of making music. So, and in the spirit of what you were saying, with like you know striking while the iron's hot mm. kind of thing, is this how it came together with novelist as yeah, well? Yeah, exactly that as well. Yeah, with novelist. Um, oh, where did I see him? I saw him at Just Jam. I was because basically I I live just up the road from where they do Just Jam. Yeah. So what I generally do is I'd sort of turn the laptop on just have a look at it, who was playing and stuff like that. And then um, just go down the road and have a couple of beers, don't just jam, hold tight to him and Barry, you know what I mean? They're lovely guys. It's nice to hang out with them. And Novelist wasn't on the lineup then, but I just I was in the Tim and Barry studios and then he just jumped on. I was just struck with the way he sort of commanded the room straight away. And I was, I was struck by his delivery. 
I think that um, he's very good at keeping on point, on on beat. You know what I mean? And he's got he's got that sort of old school flavour. You know what I mean? Which is what I I really was into. So couple days later I saw him again at Slack set at NTS Radio because obviously they're near each other I was just I was a, I went to see Slack play just having a couple of beers outside and I saw Novelist there and I was just like oh yeah we should get in the studio and then um, we got in the studio f- like a few days later and then we wrote Take Time and Take Time only took about three hours to put together really like obviously we had to mix it but the tune was the tune was done in three hours and that was the first song we met and the second song we ever wrote together was one sec so it's pretty do you know what i mean so it's pretty like healthy studio time like yeah no i see and then um you wound up getting signed to excel as well i know that was i mean this year i've literally i can die a happy dj now i don't have like having a xl x record with my name on in the old classic sort of house bag you know what I mean and having a silver tin with my name on I'm done you know what I mean I'm happy now like they're, they're the two things because my earliest memories of saying that my earliest memories of electronic music are probably me and my friend Matt we used to listen to Experience Prodigy Experience on our Walkmans on sharing a headphone each walking around the playground at primary school in year six you know what I mean and so that XL logo has been sort of deeply ingrained in my sort of like psyche like all the way through, you know, a lot of the hardcore one, like Sweet Harmony and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's throughout, throughout my sort of musical upbringing that that XL sort of um, logo has been very pre- prevalent. Yeah, and I understand. And do you think you'll um, release more music with them or is there a plan in place? I mean, I'd lo- at the moment, I'm just... The thing is, it's hard at the moment because I feel I've put out so much music lately and I actually don't have any more music that hasn't come out apart from the stuff that's sort of like geared towards the clubs which are more tools than anything so I need to make more music before I decide anything you know like I haven't got any music in the in the vaults at all so at the moment what I've just been doing I've just been like hoarding new gear basically I haven't really been focusing on um on making music I've been more been like buying stuff like that's because you know some people like buying records that's their thing and my thing is buying old hardware and stuff like that and that's that's my obsession I think and um so lately I've just been really focusing on this sort of gear which is going to lead my next wave i guess yeah yeah, yeah i was going to yeah, describe yeah. it like that did you wind up collaborating with anybody at the um red bull music academy well how, how did that go down yeah, yeah we did uh, i did a lot of collaboration at the music academy it was really hard for me because just before i went to the music academy i had to mix down the whole of proto and the xl ep in nine days and it was stressful very very stressful because I, I was like in i was doing like i don't know like 12 hour days maybe longer than that you know and and, uh, and when you're doing mix downs it's something which when you've got like the deadline was I've gone to Asia for two months so I wouldn't be able to like do anything more so I had to get it done so it's quite hard to to sometimes do all creative jobs are hard to do to a deadline you know so I just got out of the way that out of the way and then I was just like oh no I've got to go to Japan and make more music you know what I mean and like but when I got there it was just a pleasure to do you know and I think it was more than anything what I what I took from the Rebel Music Academy was seeing it's such a sort of um like what's the word? Just one off situation. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like uh it would never happen in any other sort of walk of life where all these people from around the world in that sort of number would come together and literally they're from all over the world, you know. Yeah, I mean we yeah. did we did a piece actually yeah. of sort of like highlighting some of the, you know, the, the different far flung places that they're yeah participants were from mm. it's quite staggering really. I know it's crazy and so I think more than anything it was just nice to sort of 
be in the studio with people from different walks of life, different upbringings, different social backgrounds, different musical backgrounds, and just sort of talk about music and see their approaches, see what their influences were, you know, and just sort of like be around different people. Because that's, that's why sort of throughout my career, I've always tried to travel and sort of experience music firsthand because I find you can't really have an opinion on something unless you've experienced it firsthand, you know, otherwise you're just going on hearsay, you know, like, mm. uh, so whenever I've sort of, sort of been excited by something, I've tried my best to go and get out there and sort of immerse myself in it, you know, so also with collaborations, you know, the, as I say, you always take something good from a collaboration, you know, whether it's just a different way of looking at it or it's a different way of using something, just different approaches, you know, it's a, and um, it's just inspiring, you know, it was very inspiring to be on that, on the Red Bull Music Academy just because there were so many sort of characters and sort of sort of individuals there that were just doing things in a completely different way that I would do something so I, yeah. it, was, it was a very positive experience do you have any highlights from the lectures uh the lectures who's I really like the Ben UFO one actually that sort of struck a chord with me who else was good Robert Hood one was good yeah yeah um sure. yeah there's I mean there's a lot oh, there's a uh Ryoji Ikeda is my favorite one actually but that didn't get filmed or anything. Oh, okay. um, it was he he did it, but like that was very inspiring. Just to see sort of his thought processes behind what he does was very inspiring, and uh, yeah, it was it was good. It's quite funny. He's getting a bit stroppy towards the end. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's just quite funny seeing that. Any of it? Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that, and they're all good. I mean, it was hard because I mean, like the, the sort of um, the Japanese sort of jet lag is a very special kind of jet lag right you know what i mean like when you go to when you go to like australia or something because it's almost like 12 hours difference it's kind of like just doing an all-nighter or something but this is kind of like i don't know what it is like eight hours or something it's just like an awkward thing where you just like i don't know i was just I was, I was, my head was like nodding down for like the first few days you know what i mean and like falling it's falling asleep in the studios like all over the place you know it took me a long time to sort of get myself in order you know yeah no yeah. no i see yeah I wanted to pick up on what you were saying about kind of immersing yourself in, you know, different scenes and um, countries and experiences because you have tra traveled quite a lot, haven't you? There was like different projects that you participated in. Um, I'd read about a trip to Cairo you've taken, mm -hmm. you've been to Sao Paulo and mm -hmm. Mexico. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a flavor of like, you know, some of these trips and kind of what you've like taken away from them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I went to Brazil, that was a really good experience. I went out there to work with Bondo de Roll and I did a track for their album. And I also worked with these people, this band called uh, Bandawa, who are this type of music called techno brega, mm. which uh, I think it directly translates as cheesy techno. And um, it's a very, very interesting scene, which I haven't come across before, you know. And it's uh, it was nice to sort of like seeing the two sides of the very sort of testosterone-driven funk karaoke, and then seeing. Techno Brega, which is all about heartbreak and love songs, you know what I mean? There's kind of like polar opposites. And um, it was a really special experience, actually, because I went to work with um, Bandawar and they, they took me to this like tropical island called Ilia Bella, which translates as beautiful island. And we're sitting on this island, like, set up a studio by the, like, by the beach. The sun was setting, you know what I mean? Just like on this trough coil. Like, they made like one of those melon cocktails, you know, it's actually inside a melon, you know what I mean? And I was just like, I can't believe I'm here making music, you know, it's crazy. So that was a very special experience. So, mm. And then there was Cairo, was that, was that more recently? Yeah, Cairo was last year. That was in collaboration with the British Council, who I think are an amazing organisation. Everything I've ever taken part of, 
with the British Council has been spot on, and I think um, they're a very, very important organisation. So this one was Rince and the British Council, and um, we went out to Cairo, and we were working with these artists who work within a sort of area of music called Maharaganat, which tra translates as festival and or electro shabi, which is kind of a slightly different strain, which is more about using sort of shabi music samples and recontextualizing them into sort of like, like I guess like a sort of dance, yeah. more dancey sort of appropriate them in a more dancey sort of way. That was an amazing experience as well because I mean there's a lot of parallels with Maharaganat and grime, and also I guess you could draw the parallels with like Kaduru as well. It's street music, it's very, very passionate music, it's quite aggressive music, and there's a lot of spirit in it, you know? And um, it was very, very, like, it opened my mind to a lot of interesting things that I never thought about, like, also just like, for example, these guys who were working with, like, Sadat, Kanaka, Ala 50, Diesel, and stuff like that, they, they, work, they work on feeling. So they'll do a rap, when it's finished, they'll just stop. And I'm like, that should go in 16 bars, like worried about 32, 16 bars and stuff like that. And like, I'm just like, what? And then I was halfway through, I was just like, why am I worried about it being in 16s and stuff? And it's just like, that's like a constraint. That's a constraint that works in Clubland, but I'm not in Clubland now, you know? And I was just like, they're doing it wrong. And I was like, no, they're not doing it wrong. Like, there's no wrong, yeah, you know? Sure. Like, like, yeah, so it's quite nice just to work with them. And also, because there's a big language barrier, none of them spoke English. So we're kind of working through translators, which is a very surreal experience. And also all the translators were kind of volunteers and weren't sort of taught, schooled in sort of specific, quite technical music language. Sure, yeah. So to sort of like translate when we're talking about reverb or compression or do you know what I mean? Weird things that are sort of production orientated they were looking blankly at me like and then they were just trying to say to them and then the other people looked but I mean it added this sort of like Cajun sort of randomness into it you know what I mean and it's kind of like playing Chinese whispers or something yeah you know? sure. like, but I, I like that fact and I think we got a result from it that wouldn't have happened in had it been any other way you know so I was very happy with the outcome and I think it's something that I'm want to continue working with them you know like um I've had actually I'm doing a Maharaganat set in a couple of weeks, actually, in uh, in Holland. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I feel like we built some good relationships and it was more than anything, again, they're really nice guys and they're fiercely talented guys. And um, I want to continue working with them. And I think it's not just like a trip that was sort of started and then it's finished and then it all fizzles out. But for me, like, it's difficult because the language barrier is so immense, you know, that, I mean, they, they tried to, tried to speak on um, Facebook. There's only so far that Google Translate will take you, you know, like, and it's it's very difficult because, you know, like when you just, yeah, it's just very difficult. So we need, there's always going to have to be a third party sort of involved. But yeah. um, um, I, was, I actually sp spoke to someone from the British Council today and they said they, they'd help sort of mediate it. So hopefully, which is very kind of them. So hopefully um, we'll be able to get some stuff done in the, in the coming months. So before this kind of like flurry of activity that you've had over the last couple of years, you'd actually taken quite a big break from music. Um, how long was it exactly? How long did it end up being? It's probably about two years. I mean, it was one of the times where I think it was weird because when I came through with music, I was lucky, basically. Long and short of it, I was lucky. Like Diplo shone a light on me and it was just a time when Diplo was very hot. And um, 
through that I got a light shone on me and um, I was putting at the deep end I feel I'd only done one I mean I always made music but I was always more like I was a promoter more than anything I wouldn't traditionally when I grew up I started putting on nights when I was 17 and then I, I got work as an events manager I was always putting on putting on raves that's what I did and um, and I was made as I say made music in my bedroom and what I did was I did a remix, I did a bootleg of a remix that Diplo did of The Black Lips and I MySpaced it to him. I got Jammer on it. Jammer did a little um, 16 bar on it and because uh, it was actually this uh, photographer called Jamie James Medina. He uh, he put us together. He used to document a lot of the early grime scene and we're friends and he, he was just like, you should do this. With he had heard my music and he was just like, you and Jammer work, work, work really t well together. So me and Jammer did that in the studio and then I literally took like only took like forty five minutes or something like that and then to get the recording of Jammer and then I arranged it and that and then MySpace it to Diplo and then two days later he got back to me, he put it on his blog, Annie Matt was playing it, Sindon was playing it on Kiss, like and then he asked me to remix Santa Gold like a week later and then Gucci Man, you know what I mean? And it's just like and then I, I ended up doing like 15 remixes that year you know like and I wasn't ready for it I wasn't good enough at production I was learning on my feet like my where you'd usually where someone would learn production and it'd just be their sort of scrawlings on their on logic in their bedroom that no one would hear mine were going out publicly you know what I mean so it's quite a stressful situation for me you know it's like a I guess a baptism of fire but I'm quite glad that it happened but essentially it just burnt me out and um I with remixes, I was used. I did. Like I said, to fifteen remixes, just like an albums of stuff, and I, and I used up a lot of my ideas that I might have been better using on original music. And also, it was hard as well. I think house music was coming in in the UK, the whole sort of four four sound, and there's always a changing of the guards. And I think when I sort of came through was on the sort of down it's peaks and troughs, isn't it? So yeah. as as sort of like the sound, the mad decent sound sort of maybe taking a dip and sort of maybe well getting more americanized like oh it was an american label but you know what i mean he was focusing more on his american activities house music started coming in and it was sort of like i didn't really identify with it you know i mean i like house i've got nothing against it but it doesn't really stir my soul and i'm certainly not gonna sort of change my name and then start making house you know like because I, I, people aren't stupid you know like and it's it's not yeah it's a combination of things like one, I didn't have any ideas. I didn't really know where to go. And two, I wasn't in fashion anymore and no one wanted to book me. Do you know what I mean? So uh, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing and it, it's just actually, it's a natural sort of... Like undulation? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, pe it's peaks and troughs, that's yeah, all I can say. Yeah. It's like the career path. You're very lucky if you can get a career path in music that steadily rises. Because if if you imagine like a line graph with the amount of effort you put in on one side and the amount of time on the other side, if you put in loads of effort, you'd think you'd just go directly upwards, but then there's this like random factor of cool, which comes in and just fucks everything up royally. You know what I mean? So you can work, work your ass off. And then like, as soon as fashion and cool thing comes in, you're just, you're just screwed. Cause like, if no one cares about it or if you're not cool, that's it. And it's a sad, it's a sad thing. So, but, but so yeah, so basically just went home back to my parents whatever DJ gigs I did still get, I spent on spent the money on hardware, uh, studio gear, old studio gear. I'd started working for my dad for a bit, you know, like, like that's what I had to do because I had no money because I, I wasn't really ready for a career in music and it wasn't really 
something that I um sort of like I didn't really see myself going down that path. Yeah, you sure. say like and so I don't think I was ready for it. So yeah, I just get a job again, and I'm not afraid to say that because you just need you just have to do what you have to do. You know what I mean? And it was kind of like the opposite because I was used to like working like staying up all night and then the job when I was working for my dad I had to get up at five in the morning travel up to London go and work on like a building site essentially yeah it's quite it's not good for morale you know what I mean <laughs> so there was sort of that side to deal with and it was it was yeah it wasn't the, the it was kind of a dark time in my life I guess just because sort of, it's more like I'm glad it happened though because I I know that I won't let it happen again I know where I'm going now and I've seen the cy- cycles there you go cyclical yeah, it's all yeah. cyclical I've seen the cycles and also like, I don't know, I feel like when I came through originally, I was lucky and I think I didn't, like you see when a DJ comes through, he has to play loads of really bad gigs at bars, you know what I mean? Whereas I came through, I got a lot of good gigs straight away. But then as I was on my downward sort of cycle, I had to play all those bad gigs then, you know what I mean? And then all the gigs dried up. So that was kind of like, I had my career path has been a very strange career path. So I think I did all my sort of, groundwork and sort of stuff like two out of two years of popping off then two three years of like going back to the drawing board and starting from scratch essentially I'm really glad it happened because I feel like I feel a lot more confident with what I'm doing now and I feel like it's it's me you know and I feel feel like even though I don't really like mum dance as a name in fact I kind of hate it (laughs) I'm kind of glad that I stuck with it because I feel like people respect me more for sticking to my guns rather than trying to hide my past yeah. so I'm not I'm not I'm not ashamed of my past you know I think some of the music I made hasn't aged particularly well we could put it but it's who I am and it's the course and path that I've taken and I think that people do like also it's just growing up and maturing you know so I think that's what it is I feel like I'm sort of I've come of age I guess this is this is my second wave yeah it's a coming of age tale yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but do you remember when things did start to fall into place for you, you know, because we're talking about like a back to the drawing board and a kind of process of rejuvenation, if you like. What was that feeling like, you know, when did when did things start to click? Well, I didn't really see it like that. It was more like I was just making a load of... I think what it was is, I think that the key to it is just sorting it out in your head. And the key is, if you're trying to follow and sort of fit into a pre-existing set of ideas then you're always going to follow. And I feel like if you're making music for yourself and you're not really worried about what you're doing and you're not trying to fit into anything, then it's kind of like liberating. And you can sort of, you're can sort of setting yourself free and you're just making music that you enjoy. It's kind of just not trying to second guess anything, essentially, just doing what I enjoy doing, making the sounds I enjoy making. And I think I literally did that for like three years, two, three years, I can't remember exactly, about two years. And um, at the end of it, I was like, oh, I've got about like, 12 tunes that are all right now you know like and then just I put them together into and that became twists and turns which is kind of like sort of my sort of because with Mad Decent I saw my SoundCloud there's different circles the mixtape which was kind of my first album it was 17 tunes in in 30 minutes on a mix and that I I see that as kind of my first album this is kind of my second album but it's still not an album you know it's a mixtape I still my first solo album still to come I think it's very easy to rush into these things and I feel like now I feel like I'm in the zone and now I'm ready to make my album you know what I mean so this but is kind of like the next project yeah maybe I think so yeah 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 project. yeah but yeah I think um I think that what I was doing more than anything is trying to focus on Tombra is a big thing you know like you, you can have ideas but 
it's kind of like the feeling of the sounds, which is very sort of intriguing to me, which is why I decided to go to use old hardware because that's just the sound that sounded right to my ears. You know, they've got a certain feeling to them, which is the music I grew up with, you know, and I think so that's why I wanted to sort of replicate that so it sounded right to my ears, just simply that. And I think also when I was doing all the stuff in Mad Decent, it was very f much focused on exotic sounds from around the world and sort of drawing influence from what's going on on the other side of the world. Whereas like with Twists and Turns, what I decided to do was, rather than looking the other side of the world, turn it on itself and just look to the things closest to me, which is my, the music of my upbringing, which is like rave, sort of like hardcore, you know, jungle and sort of shoegaze. But just to sort of, you know, bring things into the here and now, I'd read what I think is a recent interview with you where you talked about this idea that um, we're in a place at the moment where people are feeling more creatively free. You know, audiences are more accepting and producers are able to like push boundaries a little bit more. Do you have like a theory on why that might be? Like, why is now the time f for this? And you kind of likened it to a sort of like 93, 94 sort of hardcore into jungle periods. But w what is it about now that's like letting people feel this way mm. well I think that there's just no overruling sound I think like I said before say when things were jungle it was it was it was all about experimentation these producers are literally pushing the boundaries of sound like I think if you listen to the Doc Scott RA exchange he he talks about it a lot there how um he'd go down to the cutting house and he'd be cutting stuff and he'd, they'd just be like sharing like, how did you do that you know what I mean like they were just pushing this technology to its absolute limits and I think that's what they were focused on with jungle and when hardcore was sort of changing into jungle they were just focused on taking things in new directions and then as a a scene becomes more sort of known it it moves from entropy to redundancy and it becomes a, a sort of set of ideas which people are trying to fit into so there's there's like it becomes like drum and bass so for example with drum and bass it becomes about loudness you're trying to you're trying to make the loudest or the you're trying to do the best within this set of ideas that manifests itself through being the loudest or being the dirtiest or being like pushing it to an extreme within an idea an idea set or idiom whereas in these times between, you're not trying to fit into anything. You're just trying to push things outwards, you know, like sort of to me, there's probably people that disagree with me. But to me, it feels like we're in that sort of stage now where people are just doing things. They aren't trying to fit into like they're not trying to fit in, like they're not trying to fit into dubstep. You know what I mean? They're not trying to fit into anything. They're just trying to. I think it's as well what it is, is it's there's a lot of different pockets and crews and they're, they're all sort of like working within their sort of um, crews and they're all influencing each other and these sort of different pockets of sounds are popping up all over the world and I think that's kind of like takes things off off to different angles you know as well so there's a lot of factors. Do you think it therefore makes it harder to form kind of like scenes and communities you know if people are all going off in their different directions like you don't have this one unifying yeah. thing does that does that make it harder to rally around something? I think there's a definite uh, lack of unity within electronic music at the moment I, and again for enough number of factors mainly because a lot of people have got a, li a lot of different ideas it's a, reaching a lot more wider audience and a lot more sort of a diasporic audience around the world yeah a lot of different pockets of people there's not like it's not based around geography so much anymore it's based around an internet connection and also 
people are on a lot of different levels when they're in the clubs these days. You know what I mean? Whereas back in the day, people might have been on the same level. You know what I mean? If you know what I'm saying. Like, so, yeah, there's a lot of different factors which mean that there's not sort of like this that's what I'm saying I'm from the sort of one love sort of unity I like the unity in the screen I grew up on like I grew up on hardcore so to me it seems strange that there'd be squabbling within a scene you know what I mean and that's why yeah I, I, think, I think it's stupid I think it's uh, I'm all about I think it's people are stronger when they stick together and it's all about pushing things forwards and encouraging mm. people rather than trying to be worried things would be a lot better if people were happy for each other and encourage each other rather than trying to sort of outdo each other but I think there's also a lot to be said for healthy competition within yeah, scenes because sure. I think uh, it's always good to be like ah oh, like that how did he do that you know what I mean I'm going to do one better than that you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking like um, you know maybe we'll get to a place where scenes are, are linked not so much by the sounds but like more by people's attitudes in a way mm. I think if you do see any communities at the moment it seems to be you know although there might be quite disparate sounds being brought to it there does seem that the commonality actually seems to be an attitude or something i mean do you think there might be any like you know could that point the way forward i think well i think it's more about this is what i'm when it comes back to the fabric mix i'm trying to sort of build something which has a feeling running throughout it and a narrative even though it's drawing from a lot of different places you know and i think maybe things will be formed I guess I don't know it's a, it's a hard one you know like I think there's definitely a lot to be said about sort of crews I like that so I do even though there's maybe not so much unity it is exciting when you you're going to see when you know what you're going you're going to see this this sound a DJ from a certain crew and you know that he, what he's bringing it might be like the footwork guys you know what I mean bring bring there something like that or I think a lot of people are very guarded with their sounds rightly so in some respects but I think, I don't know, I'm all for positivity, I think. You know what I mean? More than anything, that's it, yeah. Thank you.